Last time on HPH, we told you about the wealthy young Frenchman who traveled across the Atlantic, became best friends with George Washington, and was the driving force behind the French assisting in the American Revolution. Now, the Americans were free, and it was time to take the ideals of a free republic to Europe, where he'd be met with riots, mob violence, warfare, imprisonment, poverty, and exile. It's a crazy and interesting story that you, dear listener, deserve to know, and we are just the ones to give it to you. So, grab your drinks, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History, titled Lafayette Part 2, The French Are Assholes. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. <laughs> Hello, Chris Phil. Hello, Gregory. How are you? Uh, I'm doing very well. Thanks, Greg. You gonna you gonna talk like this the whole episode? Or? No, I, that was basically it, man. Okay, good. If good. I say more than a few <laughs> words, it, it falls apart. The, <laughs> I can just do a slight French accent caricature for several words, and that's it. Well, you know what? You nailed it. Those few words, hundred percent gold. So, Thanks, very man. proud of you. Yeah, I'd like to welcome everybody in. Everybody's doing great today. We are talking about Lafayette, the Marquis de Lafayette, the hero of the American Revolution and French question mark hero. Hmm. 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 We don't know. Maybe you'll find out in this episode. I know. I know. <laughs> Damn it, he does know. He's he's gonna check out immediately. He's like, oh, I already fucking know how it's in, so I'm gonna sit over here and just play Wordle on my phone for a little while. And drink. Yeah, that too. Mostly Don't forget that. the most important. <laughs> no, we are talking about Lafayette. You know, we are a very serious history podcast. I don't know if people know that. Like, we make a lot of jokes. We like to have a good time. But we do our research. We do a lot of research. We dig deep. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, when the rookie cop first gets on the force and he finds his way to the back of the evidence locker and just picks up one of those old crates with the handle, the old cardboard crates. And, uh, well, if he was us, he would just punt it across the <laughs> drop kick it. And what falls out? The fucking missing piece to a cold case of a serial killer. That's right. Or in our case, some never before discovered piece of just huge history. Yeah. Especially U.S. history. This is crazy. Right? Uh, we've we've said this before. We are not historians. Oh, no. I, we're, quite frankly, insulted by that term. We're better <laughs> than historians. That's correct. And somebody comes up and like, hey, man, love the podcast, really just love historians in general. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, go, no, you may not have an autograph, okay? <laughs> you fucking may not, you scumbag. We are arrogantly not historians. That's correct. Because we're better, and we dig deep, and we find bits of gold like we're about to share with you, dear listener. Greg, you are aware that some karaoke rooms, you get like on the main stage, they record you, like you have a video of yourself. 
like singing your favorite song, your Bon Jovi, you know, living on a prayer kind of thing. Is that true? Yeah, man. They will record you, give you the videotape and everything. The only time I was ever on the main stage was a guy just exclaiming to everybody, no, on the main stage. (laughs) uh, It was quite the low point in my life, but... Giving up for daddy issues. Like, crying. (laughs) Excuse me, leather daddy issues. Thank you. (laughs) No, we have found, believe it or not, karaoke. That was performed by George Washington and Marquis de Lafayette, best friends, fake dad, fake son. Now, of course, it was recorded in 1797, so there's no video. That didn't exist back then. Come on, guys. Let's be realistic. (laughs) If you expected that, that's on you, honestly. (laughs) Right? But we do have audio of their karaoke. So we have them performing Guy Love from the hit TV show Scrubs. I don't know how they got a hold of this, how they figured it out. Maybe it was a song that existed before then. I'm not a musician. I'm not a musical history guy. I can just tell you we found this. And so, Wolf Dick, would you please pull that up? This face facts about me and you a love unspecified so i'm proud to call you general dear the crowd will always talk and stare i feel exactly those feelings too and that's why i keep them inside cause this general can't bear the world's disdain and sometimes it's easier to hide than explain our our guy love that's all it is guy love He's man of his, there's nothing gay about it in our eyes. You ask me about this thing we share, and he tenderly replies. It's gonna between two guys. We're closer than the average man and wife. That's why our matching braces say George and Marquis. Gonna stick with you for the rest of my life. You're the only man who's ever spent the night with me. Whoa, whoa, we were just camping after a battle. There's no need to clarify. Oh no? Just let it grow even more each day. It's like I married my best friend But in a totally American way Fuck yeah, yeah. it's guy love Don't compromise The feeling of some other guy Raising up your flagpole to the sky I'll be there to care through all the lows I'll be there to share the it's Skyla between two guys. And when I say I love you, George, it's not what it implies. It's Skyla between two guys. I love you, Mon General. I love you too, Marquis. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. 
Man, we did it again. Yeah. How about a, a round of applause for the Marquis de Lafayette and the hero George Washington, please. Uh, but <laughs> mainly, round of applause for Chris and Greg, Hunter Proof History. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, let's delete that so no one else can ever have it again. Mm, Better idea. Wolf Dick, give it to me. (laughs) That should do it. Dude, I can't believe that. You just shredded the original iPod from 1797. There were like three songs on it. It was all fife and drum and that one. And now we'll never have that bit of history again can't believe you that's how you copyright something that can't be copyrighted (laughs) they have to come here if they want to hear that that's right well listener we thank you for sticking with us through that real bit of history another real bit of history was the french revolution and the reign of napoleon bonaparte which take place during this part of our story on lafayette but uh They're not central to the story, so we're going to skim over some parts, just like we did last week when we were talking about the American Revolution. Kind of skipped a few parts. So this week we're skipping over a little bit of the things you may know and love from the multiple French revolutions in Napoleon. But guess what? Guess what, you fucking morons? Guess what? We've already covered those. Like, if you want to listen to the French Revolution, maybe throw us three bucks on the Patreon. You can listen to episodes 35 36 on Maximilian Robespierre. Napoleon is available to you right now. You will learn so much about French history, you'd be like, ugh. Man, I agree, the French are assholes. Brings a tear to my eye, thinking back in episode 35. Mm. Such, uh, we were basically young boys. (laughs) You know, first tuft of pubic hair coming in. Mm -hmm. Weaning ourselves off of our mother's teats. Just becoming men. Yeah. You know, back then we were immature. We thought the word cockade was very funny. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) come on. Come on. It's like a penis arcade. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. All right, Chris. And uh, we're running a little long here. So we, we did this last week, but let's go ahead and remind them about our source. Yep, once again, our source is Lafayette by Harlow Giles Unger. Very good book. Check out our Instagram for a full review, source review of this book, and uh, then you'll know if you should read it or not. Pretty good book, though. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. Shut up, Greg. Don't give him the review right now. God Don't go to the it. Instagram. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> All right, man, you ready to start this story? I think we should. I think we owe it to the people to just dive right the fuck in. Okay, three, two, one, go. When we last left you, the Americans had defeated the British and Lafayette had gone on a whirlwind tour of France and the United States, where he was hailed as a hero and celebrated by everyone. In January of 1785, he hopped on a ship to France, unaware that he would not return to the United States for another 40 years. And by that time, his beloved fake dad, George Washington, would be super dead. Spoiler alert, George Washington is dead. They didn't see that coming. No! Yeah. Now slaves are free. (laughs) Something like that. You guys will get that if you've listened to episodes 50, 51, and 
52 of Hunter Proof History, focusing on George Washington. God damn, you know all the episodes. Is there anything we haven't covered? Are, is is there any more history left? We're going to be like one of those podcasts where the focus like widens and widens. <laughs> yeah. Like, just talking about random shit nobody's ever heard of eventually. <laughs> All right, and today we're talking about episode 24 of season 6 of Cheers, because technically that's history that happened in the 80s. <laughs> that's Sam guy, huh? Yeah, he's so smooth. I'm telling you, I would still fuck Ted Danson. That's all I'm saying, Chris. <laughs> Have you seen him on Curb Your Enthusiasm? He's a silver, silver fox. fox. God damn it, yes. <laughs> All right, let's just shift the podcast focus now. Okay. <laughs> Next week, we're just going to have George Washington and Marquis de Lafayette singing the Cheers theme song. It's just <laughs> so moving. It's so much more moving than Guy Love. I don't know why they picked that one. <laughs> It'd make for a much shorter intro. I know that. <laughs> Whatever. Even if they checked out after 30 seconds, still counts as a play in our books. Pew! Well, Lafayette's main focus was on spreading democracy and Republican ideals throughout the world. Wait a second. Democracy? Republican? Aren't they supposed to hate each other? Hmm. (laughs) Turns out those words actually have meanings, and they're not just teams that we play for now. So, look it up in a dictionary, morons. He started by writing a series of letters to his many friends in America, telling them he was working on removing French trade barriers, but they needed to get their shit together and unify as a single nation so that it wouldn't be like dealing with 13 separate countries. He also told them slavery was really dumb and to get rid of that. Now, the U.S. Congress was already trying to figure out the process of unification, and they kind of just ignored that whole second thing about slavery for another 80 years or so. But, uh, we figured it out and racism's over, so... Mission accomplished. Hang the banner, Abe Lincoln. We did it. Us specifically. The power of podcasting. (laughs) As far as France went, Lafayette also had a bunch of ideas that nobody at that time wanted to hear. He was a practicing Protestant and spoke of religious liberty, which had been illegal since the 1600s when King Louis XIV made Catholicism the official French religion and outlawed the rest. He said, sorry, Muslims. He's like, wait, why are you saying it that way? Yeah, it just shows me that you're a bigot. <laughs> no, I'm not. I got a Muslim friend. It's the 1600s. We're all fucking racist. Who cares? <laughs> History will forgive me. Well, I'll be judged by today's times, not your future times. Right. (laughs) Don't tear down my statues, please. God damn it. (laughs) In the summer of 1785, Lafayette was invited to Prussia, where he observed the precision and power of the Prussian military. From there, Lafayette went to Austria, where Marie Antoinette's brother, Joseph II, ruled as king. In both Prussia and Austria, Lafayette would talk about democracy and pissed off the future leaders of those countries who would later hold Lafayette's lofty ideals against him. Lafayette even preached liberty to his own king, Louis XVI, who really enjoyed talking history and military tactics and playing cards with Lafayette, but when Lafayette talked about social reform, Louis would just sigh 
and say nothing. It's like current Thanksgiving dinner with my fucking family. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. You believe uh, Joe Biden's jacked up the gas prices this high? That piece of shit. I'm biting my tongue so hard that people will think I have epilepsy. There's going to be so many scars on this motherfucker later. Put a bite block in when you're like actively (laughs) talking. (laughs) Son, why are you putting that ball gag in your mouth? Oh, Jesus. I just don't want to talk about politics, Dad. (laughs) Now, Lafayette wasn't just all talk. With the king refusing to address slavery, Lafayette went ahead and bought a sugarcane plantation in Cayenne, French Guiana. He freed all the slaves, gave them education, paid them for their production, and applied his rules evenly between his black and white workers. When George Washington learned of it, he wrote a gushing letter of approval to Lafayette, but also said, quote, I'd totally do that too if, uh... No one here would judge me for it. End quote. He also said the end quote in character. Sorry. And maybe that's a good time, real briefly, to talk about the differences between Lafayette and George Washington. Lafayette wanted to be exactly like Washington, but better. He was like, you know, people may judge me for my beliefs, but I'm going to stick to my beliefs. And Washington's like, I don't want anyone to think bad about me. Please. Please, I need your approval desperately. Well, and Washington also lived basically his entire life in debt. Yeah. So I don't know if he could afford to do this. Yeah, that's true. That is true, too. And again, check out episodes 50, 51, and 52 of Hunter Proof History to learn more about that. Or go fuck yourself. (laughs) Your choice, listener. Those are your two options. This is binary. (laughs) Yes or no. It's a binary podcast, so all you non-binaries can fuck right now. Whoa! (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Obviously, I'm kidding. Everybody is welcome to listen to us and give us money. I think I saved it. Yes, I think you did. (laughs) Lafayette spent a couple years working on his own lands and attempting to spread democracy, but he wasn't gaining much traction. Then, in December of 1786... He was invited by King Louis to the Assembly of the Notables, or Notables, (laughs) casual Americans. Turns out that between financing the American Revolution and some really questionable government spending, the French were completely fucking broke. Louis' Minister of Finance, Charles Collomb, had come up with a plan which involved cutting government spending and taxing the wealthiest citizens who up to that point paid no taxes whatsoever. Hmm. (laughs) Why would they do that? That doesn't make sense. Sure, Surely you would tax the wealthy, you know? The king thought, by labeling all of these rich dudes as notables and by inviting them to the conference, he could flatter them into doing their patriotic duty by paying their fair share of taxes. And, like we maybe just alluded to, Anyone who lives in modern-day America know the response to that was a big fucking LOL. The super-rich did show up, but only to make sure no one changed their tax rates. The debates went on for six weeks. They did agree to give up a tax on salt and to cut peasant income taxes from 20% to 10%, but they angrily rejected property taxes. Lafayette, of course, railed against them and called for increased taxes and the sale of government lands. When the other politicians argued with him, 
he cut them deep in his letters to George Washington when he called the notables the not ables. Oh, shit! <laughs> what? <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> yeah. It is. Woo! <laughs> 18th century's France version of Eminem. Man, just dissing oh. them. Got those motherfuckers. <laughs> so many, yeah, at the same time, they got pants from the back. Yeah. And the penis fully came out. Oh my god. Not able. Wrecked. Oh, how did they ever recover from that bullshit, man? Ooh. Wrecked. Oh. Did they have burn centers in Paris? Who knows? But those guys need to go to them, right? Oof. Oof. My God. <laughs> it was then that Lafayette called for a national assembly or an estates general which was something that hadn't happened in over 170 years. Basically, it worked like this. The three classes of citizens, the nobility, the clergy, and the commoners, would send representatives to the capital in Versailles to debate national issues. The nobility and the clergy, who were all super rich, would be outnumbered when it came to the number of representatives, but each class voted and counted as a whole. So basically, there were only three votes, and the clergy and nobility typically voted together to fuck over the commoners. Now, even though Lafayette called for that, the king at first, he was like, Oh, nah, we ain't doing that shit. That was my Cajun French, obviously. Yeah. That's what the the theme waiter did at Razoo's to me, and it's stuck with me ever since then. Mm -hmm. Yep. Genuine. The Razoo's in Madison, Wisconsin. But anyway. His name was Brad. <laughs> Where the fuck was I? Well, the king kept the country running in business-as-usual mode. That meant by the summer of 1788, the country was actually, like 100% real talk, completely fucking broke. Before, when I said they were broke, I meant they were like, you know, Hey, payday is four days away, so we need to watch what we spend. Okay, let's not buy any new shoes on Amazon, honey. Uh, but now they were like, My good man, I will suck your dick for a packet of ramen and will happily swallow if you give me the hot water with which to cook, said ramen. <laughs> that level of broke. So the king ordered the provinces to tax themselves, which uh, you can imagine did not go over very well. Now, eventually, King Louis had to cave in, and in September, he called for the Estates General to get together and figure this shit out. Lafayette had spent the whole summer hanging out with Thomas Jefferson, who was serving as the ambassador to France, and together, they had created a constitutional club. Lafayette giddily wrote his bro-crush George Washington and told him how he was going to recreate American liberty in Paris. Another American founding father chilling in Paris, Governor Morris, wrote to Washington telling him France wasn't ready for such crazy ideas, and Washington agreed and told Lafayette to be patient. Governor Morris? Yeah. What was he governor of, Chris? Actually, Greg, thank you for bringing that up, pointing that out to us and our listeners. Uh, that was actually his first name, Governor Morris. He wasn't governor of shit. He's a governor of his own first name, just saying. <laughs> President, too. So, fuck you. Continue. <laughs> Uneducated fuck. 
Now, although those guys had told Lafayette to take it easy, you, sweet, clean, shaven, (laughs) sexy, dedicated listener, might remember from our last episode that every time someone told Lafayette to take it easy, he ignored them, and he went balls deep. And when he was elected to be a representative in the Estates General, that's exactly what he planned on doing once more. And just for our younger listeners, when we say balls deep, what that means is, you know, when you watch, uh, well, shit with you guys, it would be your favorite team, the Seattle Seahawks, um, <laughs> they play football. That's when they throw a long pass and they go deep into basically the opposition territory. You know, <laughs> balls deep. So I like this. I feel like you should keep this up every time we say something that is maybe a little blue. You clean it up for our young listeners. Okay, blue really? balls deep. <laughs> That's when an offense can really explode. Like they're a child that just wandered into your conversation. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. um, by gay, your mama means I'm really happy. <laughs> and I like hanging out with other men who are really happy. <laughs> and by divorce... She means you're getting two Christmases, so... Yay! <laughs> One of them will be here at Mommy and Daddy's. It'll it'll just be Mommy's now. And the other one will be at Daddy's shitty apartment. Or, or, I know you like to play with your little micro machines and your cars and trucks. We could do it. I could arrange <laughs> to have it done at the truck stop. It's up to you. The point is, it's all up from here. Why are you asking me if Uncle Trevor will be here at Mommy's house for Christmas? Why are you asking me that question? What does Mommy do when I'm not here? Who the fuck is Trevor? (laughs) Can I have his number? What does he look like shirtless? (laughs) Well, the three groups in the Estates General typically would debate in separate chambers and then come together to vote. But this time, the commoners rejected that idea. They all wanted to stay together and go by popular vote rather than the three-vote electoral college thing that they had set up. I don't understand why a country would you know, focus on like taking groups of people and making their vote count as one thing and then like just counting those votes instead of just counting everybody's votes as individual votes and like doing like a popular vote type thing where you vote for the most popular candidate. Yeah, I don't that- that honestly seems tarted, and I'm glad that it no longer exists. Yeah, it's very archaic, yes. Well, it took a month of debate, but eventually dudes like Lafayette were able to convince enough members of the nobility and the clergy to make the popular vote happen. The day after this big win for liberty and equality, the guys who had voted against this idea locked everyone else out of the assembly chamber. They then said Lafayette and his bros were dumb, dumb doo-doo heads and voided everything that had been passed thus far. The guys who were locked out said fuck it. They walked over to the royal tennis court where they all agreed that none of them would go home until they got shit done. Lafayette wasn't actually there that day. He was at home putting the finishing touches on a document he and Thomas Jefferson had written titled, quote, The First European Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizens, end quote. A little bit uh, longer than Declaration of Independence. You know, it's just like you're just adding words to make yourself look smart, because it was mostly plagiarized from that anyway. 
and just did it so the, the Google thing wouldn't catch him. He could still get an A in class. Well, I mean, it's like if you have the nightmare before Christmas, mm-hmm. and then if you're trying to make something similar, you're not going to call it like Christmas nightmare. That's stupid. <laughs> That's true. You're going to make it longer. Yeah. More detailed. Yeah. That time I went to sleep and my uncle came in the room and said, I got something to stuff your stocking with. And I'm like, what? That would be the title of my that my yeah. version of Nightmare. Yeah, okay, I got like you. Like the movie yeah. Scream. And yeah. if you're going to make a good sequel to that, it would be like, Scream, nephew. Scream. <laughs> the comma. Scream, yeah. nephew. Comma. Scream. Yes. <laughs> While all of this was happening, the people of Paris were riding their asses off. They were broke, they had no food, and the rich dudes and the priests weren't doing shit to help them. Lafayette spent the month of June working with others to turn France into a constitutional monarchy, where the king would still rule, but would have to answer to elected officials in a congress. His speeches, which included France's first Bill of Rights, were printed and read aloud all throughout France. Now, you know how old George Washington and Governor Morris said, hey, maybe it's not the best idea to push liberty into France? Well, it it turns out they were right. Telling a nation that was mostly made up of literate morons that they had rights that were being denied by the king and church, well, that wasn't the best of ideas. The riots and violence intensified. They're just like, Nobody's going to take my freedoms away from me. I'm going to take these trucks all the way from California to Washington. And on January 6th... Oh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, July 12th. Go ahead. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. On July 12th... Why am I apologizing? <laughs> I don't know. Just my default position. <laughs> you don't even want to know your dad's default position. <laughs> oh, my dad's a power bottom. He's told me. He's... He's like, I'm only doing this to teach you, son. (laughs) On July 12th, palace guards opened fire on a crowd, causing anarchy. The mob destroyed custom posts and looted shops. Then, on July 14th, hearing rumors that the Queen had ordered the arrest of members of the National Assembly, another mob stormed the Bastille prison and killed the six guards there. The governor of the prison was dragged outside and hung from a lamppost. I should be hanged. I'm sorry. I used the wrong form of that word. No, he was actually, uh, he came out oiled up and in a thong. (laughs) He was twirling around the lamppost, using it like a stripper pole. (laughs) And I tell you, the the bulge on that G-string. Yeah. It was, uh, he was hung from that that lamppost. He did the little legs up, twirly around. He's like, oh, no, he's going to slip at any moment and fucking crack his skull open. He did. He wooed the crowd. Well, they were still so unimpressed that they hanged him as well from that lamppost. Oh. Oh. (laughs) He still had his, like, high heels on. (laughs) (laughs) It's the the feather boa was, you know, draped around his neck, too. Can we move that out of the way? We're trying to get a noose around this guest, Nick. Uh, Now on the main stage. (laughs) That guy was back. (laughs) This poor bastard. Sorry. I have no sympathy. (laughs) 
Well, the mayor of Paris stumbled into the crowd, and he was killed, butchered, and his head was placed on a pike. Okay, now that's sad. Yeah, a little bit, because he was just there. He's like, hey, those guys, good on Well, and there's no way to misinterpret that, so this one's actually sad. <laughs> no, that's sad. Well, last one's hilarious. Fuck that guy. <laughs> well, as he was being butchered, the crowd fought each other for space so they could get close enough to dip their fingers in his blood and smear it on their faces. Which is also sad, but also kind of maybe the metal moment of the week. <laughs> I don't know, it sounds like a peaceful protest to me. <laughs> Rational political discourse is what we're calling it now, sir. That's right, that's right. <laughs> in response to these acts, the Assembly named Paris an autonomous zone and proclaimed Lafayette as the commander of the National Guard, which was cooler back then, just saying. He instantly organized the force, and to calm the riots, he ordered flour to be shipped into the city and had the Bastille raised but even he couldn't control the mobs. He spent most of his time riding from riot to riot to try and prevent extrajudicial lynchings. Now, eventually Lafayette said, this is bullshit. He tried to quit his job, but the National Assembly begged him to stay and offered to pay him 120,000 livres, which, of course, he turned down because, you know, stopping stupid government spending was kind of the whole point of the Assembly to begin with. I <sighs> just... I love them. Please don't quit. Here's here's so much fucking money. And they're like, he's like, Jesus Christ, you guys not know what we're doing here? What? Not getting the point at all. Oh, Jesus. You just want me to kill people. Is that what we're here for? Is that, that the point? Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, how'd you not know? Can you not see the hang tongue boy on the pole? <laughs> see how people love that shit? All the dollar bills at his feet? Half of it were for the entertainment and the other half was after we killed him. These people are starving. They don't have bread. They ain't got shit. They're still throwing, you know, dollar bills in his fucking G-string. It's amazing. <laughs> Bloodlust. They're lusting and bloodlusting. <laughs> well, still, the National Assembly gave Lafayette more powers and basically made him the military dictator of Paris. He used this to enact law and order. Bum, 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 bum. Sorry, got distracted by picturing Lafayette enacting Law and Order, just acting out an entire episode by himself. Bang, 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 bow, bow. And he did this, and by this I mean enacting Law and Order, primarily through a law that made rabble-rousing illegal. By mid-August 1789, he was the most popular figure in France. There was talk of making him president or prime minister, but he shot that idea down. He also refused to censor the press, which might have been a mistake. After another weak harvest, people in Paris were once again starving, and the price of bread jumped 60%. Sensing blood in the water, the Jacobin party, led by Georges Danton and Maximilien Robespierre, began to call for more riots and violence. And once again, if you want to know who those guys are in more detail, go listen to episode 35 and 36 of Hunter Proof History. On October 1st, a group of soldiers from the Black Musketeers swore loyalty to King Louis and Queen Antoinette, and they were rewarded with a party and a banquet. By October 4th, word of the party had made it to the Paris papers, and on the same day, the city had run completely out of bread. A mob formed and marched to the palace in Versailles. Lafayette ordered his men not to go, but they ignored him. 
Sensing his own life was in danger, Lafayette agreed to go with them, but reminded them that they could protest for liberty, but they were also honor-bound to protect the king. You guys took this oath. That better mean something. You raised your hand and said, yes, I agree to these things. I'm an oath keeper. (laughs) You guys said I'm one of the three percenters, man. Well, we're going to go down and we're going to make sure the president stays in power the right <laughs> Elected president, stolen election, okay? Going to go down there. I don't know, maybe try and find and uh, execute the vice king of France. <laughs> I'm an oath keeper. I mean, I never technically swore an oath, but I'm <laughs> fucking keeping the oath, okay? <laughs> Might as well call me fucking Quaker Oaths. <laughs> I swear all the oaths. (laughs) After they arrived and endured a night of violence, Lafayette convinced the king to give in to the demands of the mob and go to Paris under house arrest. He simultaneously convinced the mob not to kill the king or his guards by going out on a balcony and telling them that the king was super duper in favor of, you know, like liberty and voting and equal rights and stuff. He's like, yeah, he's he's cool with it. Don't kill him. Don't do it, you guys. Throughout the rest of 1790 and all throughout the first half of 1791, Lafayette walked a tightrope of keeping the peace in Paris by making sure the people were fed, making sure no one killed the king, and also trying to create a constitutional monarchy in the assembly where he was still a representative. He actually failed the hardest on the last part, which was being a representative, and he refused to take political leadership when it was offered to him. He was trying so hard to emulate George Washington's, you know, oh shucks, I don't want to be in charge, fellas, attitude, that Lafayette left a power vacuum. That void was quickly filled by Maximilien Robespierre and the Jacobins, who had absolutely no use for the monarchy or Lafayette in any way. They continued to slander both in the press and turn the idiots of the general public against Lafayette. Things got so heated that Lafayette once again said, Fuck it, I quit. I'm going home. But just four days later, his soldiers came to him and begged him to take command once more. But he only agreed to command dudes who signed an oath to protect the king. He's like, okay, you said it out loud before, but now I want it in fucking writing, people. Like, I want, you know, I do solemnly swear, and you don't read the fine print, and, you know, Lafayette gets to have sex with all your wives. But, uh, sorry, right here, please. Yeah. It's not just about wearing a, a hat and a leather jacket that says you're going to keep this oath. You're going <laughs> to This is legally binding, you pieces of shit. And no bear spray. And I swear, one of you motherfuckers takes the Speaker of the House podium and walks out of this building, I am going to lose my shit. (laughs) Well, agreeing to return to the National Guard left Lafayette once again in the position of being both the prison guard and the protector of the king. So it looked really bad for him on June 20th, 1792, when the royal family got caught trying to escape to Austria and Lafayette had to lead them back to Paris. Now, all of this came to a head once more on the second anniversary of the storming of the Bastille. The Jacobin had organized a protest to demand the removal of the king. As Lafayette was riding in, 
an unknown assailant attempted to shoot him. What followed was another riot with the National Guard opening fire on the crowd, killing a hundred men, women, and children. Well, from that massacre, that tragedy, came hope for Lafayette. Fearing arrest, the Jacobins went into hiding. This allowed the National Assembly to actually approve a constitution and establish a legislature. That's right. He did it. Lafayette, he'd fucking done it. He had brought American democracy to France. And with that, he gracefully returned to a private life. He left the National Guard, and they in turn gave him a sword made from the locks of the Bastille. He was hailed as the hero of two worlds. And of course, the liberty and democracy and his peaceful life would last forever. And that is the end of the story. Hell yeah. Ah, Hell woo, yeah. We did it. Ah. We did, uh, oh, sh- oh shit. What? Greg, I, I just... I just glanced at the outline and there's still like, there's like another half that somebody has to tell these people. You think you're up to that? You think you can just tell them what happened? I don't know what happened. So I'm counting on you, buddy. Wait, me? Yeah. Fuck! All right, we are back from break. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had a good time. I know I did. Greg, we are about to do something we do every week. Something I I, I got onto you last time because you weren't participating. You know, I, I was like, oh, this guy doesn't take this seriously, you know? And he I know. What a part of this. And now this week, I'm I'm seriously debating it because... We're about to have a drink, and I don't know if I want to have the drink that I have prepared. The only one that I have remaining. The only one left in my inventory. Like, if I want to be committed to this bit, or if I just want to, like, lie to the listener, like I do most of the time. So, uh, I don't know. Wolfdick, hit the theme song while I think about it. Second half seltzer. Second half Yeah, no, I'm not going to drink this shit. I have a pumpkin spice seltzer. It's fucking garbage. You no made your fucking basic <laughs> bitch bed. Now you lay in it. I'm not even wearing my Uggs or my puffy vest. Ugh, it's not going to feel right. It's March, man. I'm not supposed to be drinking pumpkin. And a three, a two, a one. God, it's like pie. All right. All right. Well... While I suffer through this, Greg, are you going to maybe tell these people about the suffering that Lafayette is about to endure? I don't have a choice, Chris. Yep. Contractually obligated. (laughs) And his suffering is exactly on par with my suffering of drinking this pumpkin spice seltzer, as you will soon find out. And also, as you will soon find out, my suffering is actually a step above Lafayette's (laughs) suffering. So... We continue. On October 19th, 1791, ten years to the day after Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown, the 34-year-old Lafayette arrived home. He would write to George Washington, After 15 years of revolution, I am profiting from a new and agreeable life 
of calm in the mountains where I was born. End quote. Sounds exactly like that karaoke song. Like, it's crazy. You just nailed that fucking well, thank accent. You. Yeah. It, w- it was way better than the voice in the karaoke <laughs> song, I will it's say. It's crazy. Unfortunately, while he was off playing farmer, the constitutionalists in Paris were powerless to stop Robespierre and the Jacobins, who had taken complete control of the assembly. The economy was in the shitter, and the cities were filled with chaos and violence. So to cure their ills, the National Assembly decided it was high time to go to war with Austria. They called up three 50,000-man armies. The North Army on the left flank was led by revolutionary war hero Comte de Rochambeau. The far right flank, the Army of the Rhine, was led by General Nicholas Luckner. That's exactly how it's pronounced. All, <laughs> all normal. And for the Army of the Center, they chose our boy Lafayette, not to honor him in any way, but because they wanted to keep him out of politics. Turns out he had still won a third of the popular vote in the last election, despite not being in the city or actively even trying to win the election. On April 28, 1792, France declared war on Austria and sent their armies to seize Belgium. Now, I know what you're thinking. How could an army of dummies who have been told for three years that no one gets to tell them what to do turned into an organized, effective fighting force? Well, let me tell you. They can't. In the face of a real army, the French fell apart and ran away. Typical. When... Sorry. <laughs> Actually atypical, but, you know, whatever. Keep pushing that narrative. I will. When one French general ordered his men to turn around, they killed him and kept running. Rochambeau quit in disgust and was arrested. Austria told the assembly that they were coming to free the king and queen, prompting Robespierre and the Jacobins to declare a national emergency which allowed them to suspend all voting rights and rule indefinitely. Lafayette had had enough. He rode back to Paris and told everyone the Jacobins were pieces of fucking shit and constitutional law must be restored. Problem for Lafayette was, he had continuously given up any opportunity to become a political leader and, in his absence, the Jacobins had turned the public against him. Just a bunch of tweets and... Facebook articles, memes and stuff, and Tucker Carlson's talking shit about him every night. Like, God, this guy does suck. This bullshit. (laughs) The people called Lafayette a scoundrel, which was like the ultimate insult in the late 18th century. Georges Danton accused Lafayette of being an ally of the Austrians, even though he had just attempted to fight them. Robespierre called Lafayette the most dangerous enemy of France. Lafayette then left the city to rally what loyal troops he had. After he had left, Robespierre called for his execution. Governor, not Governor, Morris, looked on in horror as the people of Paris burned Lafayette's effigy. On August 10th, Robespierre ordered thousands of insurrectionists to the Tuileries Palace, where they slaughtered the royal guards who had been ordered by King Louis not to fire on the people of France. (laughs) So fucked up. Like, they're getting murdered and like, we can't shoot back. Like, this guy's ripping out my intestines. What do I do? What do I do, sir? Appeal for peace. Yeah. You know, just uh, turn the other cheek. That'll work out. Worked out for that last guy who tried that shit. He already shot me in the other cheek. (laughs) 
The royal family fled to the National Assembly, which immediately placed them under house arrest in an even smaller house and gave Robespierre and Danton absolute control. Danton immediately issued a warrant for Lafayette's arrest, and Robespierre seized all of Lafayette's lands for the government. It took until August 14th for word to reach Lafayette, who immediately decided it was time to take his troops back to Paris and take military control of the city and the country. But his troops refused to go. When he ordered the officers to arrest the soldiers, they too refused. It was then that Lafayette knew his goose was cooked. If he went back to Paris, he was a dead man, so he decided it was time to go live his best life in America. He fled to Austria-controlled Belgium and asked for passage to the United States. But the Austrians were like, Hey, aren't you that guy who started this whole revolution thing by talking shit about monarchies? And they promptly placed him under arrest and sent him to a Prussian prison. I'm just going to ask Wolf to just give him the round of applause. That was amazing. That was Austrian. That was... Thank you. Yeah, sounded exactly like Governor Schwarzenegger. Like, you fucking nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of governors, not governor, Governor <laughs> Morris and George Washington racked their brains trying to figure out how to get Lafayette out of prison, but they came up with nothing. Austria and Prussia had yet to recognize America as a legit country. And even if they had, they were both neutral countries that had been attacked by France, and asking to help with Lafayette would have been taking a side in that war. So, Lafayette sat in a Prussian prison cell which featured a wooden board on the ground for a bed, spoiled food, very little water, and all the rats you could ever hope to cuddle with. In September, the wild-ass French army actually scored some victories against the Prussians and Austrians, who really didn't give much of a crap about fighting to save the life of King Louis. Worrying that the French might liberate Lafayette and take away a potential bargaining chip, the Prussians moved him to an even shittier prison 300 miles away from the French border. This prison featured cells that were basically 3 by 5 foot holes in the ground, with grates in the ceiling being the only source of light. Yeah, and then every night they would let him out, and he'd have to go cook meth for him, because he was the only one that knew the formula to get it right, and then they'd put him back in the cell, you know, and he just stayed there. He, like, he tried to escape one time, but they killed uh, his, uh, the, you know, like this girlfriend that he had, and then made him realize that, no, you got to keep cooking meth for us, guy. Is this a spoiler-heavy Breaking Bad joke? The the show has, like, been off the air for ten years. You people need to figure this shit out. Yes, it's like the last season of Breaking Bad. That is How a obscure. How obscure. Jesse in his cage. Whoa, with- you don't have to further explain oh, it. I'm sorry. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> they could have, like, switched away real quick. <laughs> like, no, no. I haven't watched this show everybody's been talking about for a fucking decade. Ah! Ah! Uh, I know somebody that made it to the last episode as it aired and still has not seen the last episode. It's fucking weird, right? I know somebody that watched the very last episode and said that was really good and then refused to watch anything else because they figured they they had figured out the whole series from the very last episode. I mean, even if you know how it ends, it's the journey, baby. (laughs) Right? That's what I tell my wife when she said, why? It's just going to last 30 seconds. Well, it's the getting there, you know? It's the crying before, not the crying after. Yeah, I know it's the getting there, and there's not enough uh, character development (laughs) 
before the conclusion's just there. <laughs> There's no uh, building up the set, the story, the characters. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> Introduction, roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> Over the next couple of years, while Lafayette was wasting away in a Prussian dungeon, things were going to absolute shit in France. Robespierre decided everyone who ever disagreed with him about anything was a traitor and deserved execution. My man. (laughs) Throughout 1793 and 1794, thousands of people were sent to the guillotine, including King Louis, Marie Antoinette, and Adrien Lafayette's sister, mother, and grandmother. Remember, she is Lafayette's wife. How do you feel good about that as an executioner, as this old lady's led up to the guillotine? She's like, well, I, at least I got to see Price is Right one last time. And she leans over into the guillotine, her teeth fall out of her mouth. She's like, one dollar <laughs> for old time's sake. Do me a favor, grease up my bottom and give this granny a one last ride. God. <laughs> Grease up my bottom. (laughs) Jesus. That's a callback to the very real story I told on another episode about my great grandma telling my grandma to grease up her bottom for my granddad. I know. (laughs) That's for the new listeners. Still disgusting. (laughs) Can of Crisco just sitting there. You're like, what is happening in this house? Why is there shortening in your bedroom? What if when you were 26 and it was that time you finally lose your virginity? And, <laughs> That's way uh, early, you're but very okay. attracted to this girl and she's, you know, speaks very normally. And you get in bed and she's like, All right, now grease up my bottom, <laughs> please. She's got the be a dear and grease up my bottom. She's got the Red Riding Hood grandma like shower cap thing on. <laughs> she's like knitting in bed. You'd prefer she takes it off and becomes the wolf at that point. <laughs> at that point, please, yeah. <laughs> please kill me. <laughs> Much rather play Red Rocket with the bad, big bad wolf than oh, whatever God. is about to happen. <laughs> the wolf's like, you know I'm still going to eat you after this, right? <laughs> yeah, I want to go out on a hard note, Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> it's like John Elway retiring after the Super Bowl, baby. <laughs> oh, you couldn't even talk. I know, I was laughing. Well, in 1794, the French army managed to threaten Prussia's border, forcing them to once again move Lafayette. By now, however, the Prussians were tired of dealing with the Marquis, who was technically a prisoner of the Austrians. And so, he was sent to the prison in Olmutz, which made the Prussian prisons look like minimum security country clubs. The cells of Olmutz were built into the city walls, which sat right over the Mareva River, which carried the city's sewage and filled the cells with stench and swarms of mosquitoes and flies. He wasn't allowed to talk, was only identified by his prisoner number, had to eat rotten food from bowls with his fingers, wasn't allowed to bathe, and had to pick a corner of his cell to use as his toilet. This is what they're talking about when they talk about a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison. <laughs> this is the first 20 seconds of Les Miserables. Like, oh, this poor really guy. Is. This is yeah. awful. Oh, he's poor instantly free. Jean Valjean. <laughs> oh, and his prisoner number? 24601, bitch. 
Oh I'm yeah, cultured. nice. You mm. are cultured. Mm. That's right. Well, by this point, Adrienne Lafayette had also been arrested and was awaiting her turn at the guillotine. She was spared when, not Governor Morris, told Robespierre that killing the wife or children of America's beloved Marquis would turn the United States against France and drag them into war. Robespierre agreed to remove her from death row, but kept her in prison without any actual charges. She stayed there until the new U.S. ambassador arrived in the form of a future president, and the dude who became friends with Lafayette when he was wounded at Brandywine Creek, James Monroe. By the time he arrived, the people of Paris had grown tired of Robespierre's shit, and he too had been arrested and executed. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah. Almost feels like almost feels like you could do, I don't know, like three hours of podcasting on his life and times. A story within a story almost. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like it'd be worth paying three dollars just to hear that story. Oh my god. And the antics that ensue. Yeah. Oh, could you imagine? Someone should do that. Someone should look into that, see if that's possible. I just think $3. That was back in Hambone's heyday, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I don't remember. It's a very, very played out character at this point. So played out. <laughs> There's only so much you can do. He disappears for a long time, then he comes back randomly. Just like my dad when he needs money. <laughs> he does that to you too, huh? Yeah, he finds out. He's like, hey, I heard on the podcast you got like 10 new Patreon listeners. What's up? How you doing? He says the same exact lines to me. <laughs> well, yeah, so Robespierre, he, he did. And now the people of France, they were returning to the ideals of civility and due process. It took some doing, but Monroe was able to get Adrienne Lafayette freed. In January of 1795, she was released from prison after being held for 16 months without charges or a trial. Thank God. And what a success story. Right? Just what at least a, a happy ending to her her prison affair because it sucks that her husband is he's still locked up for now. Mhm. But at least she's free. No more prison for her. Yeah, she's she's living her life, man. She gets to do whatever she wants. Just go out there and enjoy everything, you know? It's pretty great, right? Hell yeah. All right, let me read this next poem. Okay, go. Um, She then celebrated her newfound freedom from prison by demanding to be thr thrown in prison. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> She's institutionalized, man. She's Brooks from Shawshank Redemption. She can't live on the outside anymore. <laughs> well, she, you know, she was asking the store manager... Take bathroom breaks. The store yeah. manager says, you don't have to ask me every time you got to take a piss. Yeah, she comes out and there's yeah. cars and shit. Everything just moves so fast. Yeah. She saw an automobile once when she was a child, but <laughs> now they're everywhere. And she asked herself at one point, she's like, when did everybody get in such a damn hurry? <laughs> yeah, I know Shawshank, bitch. You know so much fucking Shawshank. <laughs> Uh, well, first, she sent young George Washington Lafayette to America to hang out with his namesake, actual George Washington, and then she gained an audience with Austrian Emperor Frederick II and asked him to toss her and her two daughters into Olmutz, pound me in the ass prison, with her husband. 
Frederick said, yeah, cool, no problem, and lied and said Olmutz was awesome. The prison commander was a very chill dude. Her husband hadn't become a, a living corpse. No, he's been in the yard. <laughs> he's doing great. iron. <laughs> I mean, he's got a few white supremacist tattoos these days, but <laughs> he is in shape. Man, you got to join a gang as soon as you get in. Otherwise, you know, you're I mean, an outcast and yeah. they beat the shit out of you. you, you yeah, you have somebody. to. Yeah. You have to. As soon as she arrived on October 15th, 1795, the guards took all of her belongings and tossed her and the kids in a cell. Yeah, I'm so torn by this because we talked about in Napoleon where Josephine was supposed to be the love of his life, but it was really kind of fucked up. Like he cheated on her, she cheated on him like all the time. And they just made this love story. This feels like a love story. Like, I'm going to go to jail for you, husband. I'm going to stay in prison with you because I love you. Also, I'm bringing our kids. And then that no, feels no, like... No, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, like, why? What? What are you doing? Oh, my... You're psychotic. <laughs> You're a terrible mother, but God, I want to fuck you right now. What is this? <laughs> They're in cells next to each other. Like, all right, all right, I'm going to pass some of my shit through the the bars into your bars you grab it and you exchange it with your shit you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll smell it and, and touch our parts <laughs> that's true romance <laughs> I mean, it's not like they were in the same cell yeah yeah Lucy I'm home no there's none of that shit no they were more like Fred and Ethel yeah they were never they, really around each yeah. other yeah they were both Hiding their homosexuality from each other. Hmm. Can I say that? I'd never thought of that. You can say <laughs> yeah. whatever you want, Chris. <laughs> it's true. It's the internet. No one can stop me. What do you say? <laughs> Adrian immediately wrote a letter to Frederick II and said, "Bro, the brochures for this place. What if I don't? I don't know what <laughs> just, I'm doing. Just read it in normal. <laughs> the American. brochures for this place were full of shit." <laughs> He waited until Christmas to write back saying, <laughs> You're Borat. Tofshit, <laughs> you asked to be there. <laughs> that worked. I like the, I don't know what I'm doing. Fuck it. Just, no, I'm done. <laughs> Adrienne soon became incredibly sick with her arms and legs swelling up and her skin becoming covered in blisters and oozing wounds. The prison commander kept hoping she would die, but eventually he offered her the opportunity to go to Vienna to see an actual doctor. The only catch was that once she was out of the prison, he wasn't going to let her back in. She wrote back that she would never again separate herself from Lafayette and decided to write out her illness in the Olmutz federal pound me in the ass prison shithole. It was... Again, not clear is could she take her kids with her when she went to the doctor? Like, I, I think so. I think she could have. Like, that was so. her ticket out. And Lafayette's like, you know, I love you too, baby, but get the fuck out of here. What are you doing? Or maybe like, the warden was like, I need to get them kids. Hey, yeah, I mean, you're basically free to go, you know, because he's a serial <laughs> child uh, Jesus. killer. Yeah, <laughs> he wanted to chop him up and put him under the house, like just like uh, Gacy. Oh, I was gonna say Joan of Arc's best buddy in that episode. Remember that her best no. friend who turned out to be a murderer of children. 
Oh, like a, in the in the basement dungeon. Yeah, yeah, and he dressed yeah. like a clown. Wait, I'm getting things mixed up now. But yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, y'all can check out that episode. Good luck finding it. I have no idea. <laughs> no what idea that was. We've talked about it. We've talked about all of France's history. Why are we still talking about fucking France? That's what I want to know. Never again. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> Never. Never again. again. Join us next time for our episode on 1940s Vichy France. Actually, I don't know what we're going to do next, but it's World War II, so we'll figure that out. Continue, I'm sorry. But they're traitors. They were traitors, Chris. Mm -hmm. Well, where the Austrians fucked up was they allowed Adrienne to write letters. The world began to hear how awful she was being treated. There was a famous play performed in London and Paris about their plight titled Conjugal Devotion. Title your sex tape, right? What, when I visited my uncle in that maximum security prison? Well, I mean, that Florence? was implied. You didn't need to fucking say it, but yes. Yeah. Oh. Oh, that was it. The supermax. He gets one hour a day, and it's devoted to love. Of his nephew. <laughs> yeah, well, love yeah. For his nephew. Yeah, but you're a consenting Wait, adult. On, on his nephew. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to get the book title right. <laughs> but again... Consenting adult. Love in his nephew. There we go. <laughs> Love on his nephew's face. No, that's too many words. Let's just God, <laughs> way too on the nose. Literally, way too that's on the nose. That's what your uncle said. I was aiming Already lower. B to the punch. I'm sorry, Chris. <laughs> well, even the bastion of polite neutrality, George Washington took time out of his last year in office and wrote a letter to Frederick II to ask for his fake son's release. The Lafayettes languished in prison until September of 1797 when some random dude named Nap Napoleon... Hold on, I want to make sure I'm reading this right. Napoleon Bonaparte... <laughs> Napoleon Bonaparte uh, defeated Austria in war and requested their release as part of his peace negotiations. Also the founder of my favorite ice cream, Napoleon ice cream. Mmm, the three different flavors. I feel like we made this joke in the Napoleon episodes. I'm sure we did, but still. I think I probably did, and you've stolen it and reused it. <laughs> the worst possible offense. Not only was it not your joke, you then recycled it. Hey. On the same medium in which you heard it. We are common law married. Half of what is yours is mine. <laughs> Fuck you. I spend more time with you than my wife. That's for goddamn sure. Yeah. It's not by your choice, though. <laughs> no, she won't let me downstairs. Well, this time, Lafayette was 41, broke as fuck. My man. And yeah, he was free, but Napoleon saw him as a potential rival, so he forbade him from returning to France. Lafayette then remembered all the gifts and money the Americans had promised him and decided it was time to cash in but his hopes of moving to the States were dashed when Alexander Hamilton wrote him a letter to let him know that France and the U.S. were on the verge of war and Lafayette coming to America would be an international scandal. Adrienne then went to work learning the law and spent the next couple of years working to regain the Lafayette home at La Grange and managed to get Napoleon to allow Lafayette back into the country as long as he promised not to take part in politics. Lafayette agreed and went to work on his farm. But because of that promise to Napoleon, 
He wasn't allowed to take part in the French memorial for his beloved George Washington when he died in 1799. That's sad. That's very sad. He couldn't be a part of that. But also, let's take a second to recognize Adrienne Lafayette for just being just so fucking badass. Dude, she's a bad bitch. She went to prison for her boo, stayed there. She wrote letters, got everybody out of prison. Then she got all their family property back. And she is a bad bitch. Yeah, uh, that that really struck me throughout researching this story. It was like, why haven't I heard more about her? Because, I mean, she's just a fucking boss, dude. Yeah, she's awesome. She really is, yeah. She voluntarily goes to a decrepit prison, and maybe she didn't know it was as bad as it was, with her kids. And then when giving the opportunity, to, like once she does know how shitty it is to get out, she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving Probably. if he's here. Yeah. Gets out, basically becomes a lawyer. I mean, studies law enough to where she gets shit done. Yeah. She's fucking awesome. She really is. And then stays with this fucking dude that can barely move. Mm-hmm. I don't it's know. Like living corpse. She's She's dealing with her own shit. She's got her own illnesses. Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. I came out of this story loving Lafayette and loving Adrian Lafayette even more. I love them about the same. No. Oh. All right. Playing both sides. Typical Greg. All right. <laughs> uh, my comment uh, really added value to what we were saying. <laughs> I love about the same. <laughs> That's better than my usual. Yup. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, over the following years, the Marquis de Lafayette led a quiet life as his children married off and had grandchildren, all of whom lived with him in Adrian at Lagrange. In 1802, he slipped on some ice and broke his leg, which led to a permanent, painful limp. And so, on most days, he would sit in a chair by a window and use a megaphone to shout instructions to his foreman and workers. That's awesome. I just love that. That is some my man shit. That's <laughs> yeah. my fucking dream. Hey! Stop slacking! Get back to fucking Nail work! <laughs> just playing some video games every <laughs> yeah. once in a while to pick up a megaphone. <laughs> but play the annoying, like, modern-day megaphone. So play the annoying... <laughs> first. Hey, God damn it! <laughs> hey, you get back to work, you piece of shit. Like, what did he say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's okay to joke about because they were all paid laborers. They were. He paid everybody. If they were slaves, I wouldn't be able to make this joke. No. So for that, I thank you, Monseigneur de Lafayette. I need you to say all 17 of his names. But with that said... On occasions where he did have guests, he'd limp around the farm and make them pretend to be interested in the latest scientific advances in animal husbandry, as they all stood basically ankle deep in shit. I fucking love that. Come on, let, hey, let me show on, you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and they were famous guests. It's like, oh, Prime Minister of France, why don't you come over here and look at these sheep? And he's like, what am I standing in right now? Oh, that's shit. That's <laughs> a lot of shit, but uh, it's good because it fertilizes the land, you know. By well, I mean, de- what, what else is he going to do? Yeah, right, yeah. I know when I have, like, my wife will bring a 
coworker or something, and there's significant other over to my house. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm not used to this. So I'm like, hey, here's my, here's my whiskey collection. Mm-hmm. Well, would you like to try some? Uh, uh, no, we we don't drink. Just, uh, just looking over each shoulder. I'm like, okay, well, here's the kitchen. Like, oh, nice, nice. And then next stop, uh, here's the whiskey collection. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And they're like, what is that smell? What, what is that awful odor? I'm like, oh, that's my shit. You're, you're standing in my shit because, again, here's my whiskey collection. I've already explained this part of the tour. Oh, no, that's coming from the guest room. Allow me to introduce you to Amy. Oh, hello, I'm Amy. <laughs> A- Amy like banana. That's that's my gorilla wife, Amy. Uh, I wanted to show you some animal husbandry. So. <laughs> Congo joke, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Amy not happy. Amy unsatisfied. I feel like you got onto me for an old reference, and now we're referencing a 96... Like random fucking movie that we've I've, we've brought up a lot of on this podcast. Never mind. We've, exactly. We've done, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a staple. It's a staple. You bitch. <laughs> In August of 1807, the sickness Adrian had contracted in Olmutz, federal pelmy in the ass prison, returned. She held on until Christmas when she miraculously, <gasps> well, she died. Oh, fuck. You got my hopes up, man. I'm sorry. Lafayette wrote that she had been, quote, an indistinguishable element of my own existence and the rest of my life, which had once seemed to me so full, will now forever be empty of happiness and comfort. I like how he stumbles over the words because he's always thinking of English. He's French translating English, so he's like, uh, EMT, this is a word, correct? I I do hate myself for... Uh, yeah, because he's talking about his dead t- wife. I know, do, do my stupid accent through his meaningful quotes. His awesome wife, we just said she was awesome. Fine. Like, Let's make a joke out of these. She had been, oh. quote, an indistinguishable element of my own existence, and the rest of my life which had once seemed to me so full, will now forever be empty of happiness and comfort. End quote. I feel like we own that. I did my little fuck around quote. Let's, <laughs> let's give them the real one, all right? Yeah, now they're crying. Now the eyes are just watering like crazy. Yeah, focus on the road. Put your mm-hmm. drink down, listener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he buried her near the mass grave in Paris where her mother, sister, and grandmother had been buried following their executions. Where are your fucking jokes now, Greg? I was say, you're joking like Wait, that. that's me. <laughs> I'm Greg. <laughs> they were buried in the mass graves. <laughs> he continued to stay out of the spotlight, even as Napoleon Bonaparte was removed from power. But his people elected him to the assembly once more in 1817. In 1823, he was accused of attempting to overthrow the monarchy and lost his re-election bid. Shortly thereafter, now President James Monroe invited him on a tour of the United States. He went on a tour of all 24 states that existed at the time 
and was celebrated in every town and city that he visited. Along the way, he met the surviving troops he had served with and his two old friends, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. He was also given $200,000 in government bonds and a 36-mile township on the southern Georgia border. And before he left, he stormed the Capitol with true patriots on January 6th. <laughs> no. 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 Oh. 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 Sorry. No. And we kind of, for the, the sake of time, we kind of like skim past this, but like every city tried to outdo themselves. Like how much they loved Lafayette. America fucking loved the Marquis de Lafayette for what he did for the revolution. I mean, I, I feel like that sentence skimmed over it more than we did. <laughs> we said every single town that he went to celebrated him, so... Well, they tried to outdo each other. Like, he'd show up at one thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Paper mache arch de triomphe, like they have in Paris. Mm -hmm. And then the next one would have, like, 30,000 soldiers dressed up as his Virginia military. Like, it was just each city was like, we want to honor him more than the last city did. Like, even in Brooklyn, where he laid the first brick on the Brooklyn Public Library... And he was celebrated, and some kid asked for a kiss, kissed him on the cheek. That kid was Walt Whitman. No shit. The reason that uh, Walter White got caught on Breaking Bad. More spoilers for that show. Did it. But that was one kid. I heard yeah. when he went through Boston, a kid kissed him on the cheek, mm -hmm. and he, he gave like a little sly eye thing, and that kid was never heard from again. So, <laughs> you tell me. That kid ended was up was the Marquette de Lafayette a good or bad man? That kid ended up in the basement of a pizza parlor. He was never seen again. Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Line is crossed. Okay. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> All right. Well, upon his return to France. They're going through yet another revolution. They're very good at revolutions. Very they good. Did, man, there was about a like a hundred year period where they did a ton of them. <laughs> but this time, the king was Charles X, and he was a bigger dickhead tyrant than Louis or Napoleon had ever thought of being. Lafayette was reelected and soon became the hero of the revolutionaries. They made him leader of the National Guard in October of 1830 named him the unwritten dictator of Paris. A day later, he was offered the opportunity to become president of the French Republic or relinquish power to the Duc d'Orléans, who would become king. He finally realized the French weren't quite ready for liberty and gave the country to the Duke, who promised to promote constitutionalism. The Duke, who changed his name to King Louis-Philippe, well, he turned out to be a big fat liar. Over the following years, he stripped the National Assembly of its power, declared himself Prime Minister, and removed Lafayette from the head of the National Guard. Lafayette continued to represent Republican ideals in the National Assembly, and he remained a hero to those who wanted liberty for France. In May of 1834, Lafayette was caught in a thunderstorm and developed pneumonia. Eleven days later, at four in the morning, as he lay in his bed, the 76-year-old Lafayette kissed a locket which held a picture of Adrian, and died. In the United States, President Andrew Jackson ordered that Lafayette receive the same honors the country had bestowed upon George Washington when he died. 
in France, worried that this funeral might cause a revolutionary uprising because, I mean, you it looked the wrong way happens. and it caused one, right? Yeah. But worried about that, the government forbade the public from attending Lafayette's funeral. In the end, Lafayette was a man who stuck to his convictions and always sought liberty for the people and refused power when it was offered to him. He was instrumental in the American Revolution and is rightfully hailed as a hero in the United States. Because of his struggles and failures in France, he's not viewed as favorably. And that is why this week, we're asking all our listeners who go out to eat to confuse the fuck out of their servers and order a large side of freedom fries for our marquee. End of story. Woo! We did it. We told the story of the Marquis de Lafayette. Greg, not gonna lie, kind of love this guy. I'm kind of like in love with the Marquis de Lafayette. Isn't the first time you've told me this. <laughs> I asked you to dress up one time. One time I asked you to dress up. <laughs> it becomes a thing all of a sudden. No, I, I, I mean, he stuck to his guns, Manny. He was all about liberty and democracy, and he wanted that for the entire world, and it didn't work out for him for then. I mean, now it's kind of spread, so he's kind of won in the end, but uh, he's an American hero for sure, and for that, I love this dude. Big fan. I wasn't a big fan before we started researching, but once I started reading, I'm like, man, this dude is fucking awesome. Yes. Okay. <laughs> No, man, I, I, I agree, but I know we're running out of time. We are running out of time, but we do have a little bit more to tell you guys. Just little little bits that maybe didn't fit in the story, but now we want to tell you about them, and we call those the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. When Lafayette was in prison, the Jacobin took all of his possessions, and Adrian went broke. To help the family out, Governor Morris snuck a hundred thousand livres into a Dutch bank account and gave control of it to Adrian. Even George Washington, who was afraid of starting an international conflict, sent the family two thousand dollars of his own money and lied to the French government by saying it was a debt he was paying back. Fast fact number two: In only two years of the terror. The French sent one million people to prison. 200,000 died due to starvation or disease, and another 20,000 or so were executed and thrown into mass graves. Ironically, the revolution, which was supposed to elevate the commoners and give equal rights to everyone, wound up killing far more commoners than aristocrats. Fast fact number three. When Lafayette broke his leg, the surgeons said they could heal it naturally or treat it with a rack-like machine that had been invented to stretch broken bones into place with a turn of several screws daily. Lafayette opted for the machine, which eventually became so tight he developed gangrene and almost lost the leg. That machine was never used again. Fast Fact Number 4 The plantation Lafayette bought in French Guiana in 1785 in order to provide a model for the emancipation of slaves, thrived up until 1792 when he was thrown in prison. At that point, 
The French government, led by Robespierre, sold all of his properties and sold the freedmen back into slavery. Slavery was abolished in 1794, and Lafayette took great pride that, unlike in every other French colony, there was no social upheaval in Guiana when their freedom was returned. All right, we thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a lot about Lafayette. I feel like he's kind of like a forgotten figure. Like We kind of focus on other founding fathers, but this dude was a big fucking deal. Unsung hero! Yeah! <laughs> Speaking of ung, sung, ung, Hung Sung Hero. <laughs> what is he, a Korean of... porn star? <laughs> Speaking of unsung heroes, please check out 100proofhistory.com. There you'll find a little bit of biographical information on us, Wolf Dick, you know, the people involved in this show. You also... Very importantly, as we have pointed out multiple times throughout this show, you will find a link to our Patreon, where for just $3 a month, you get access to old shows, you get early access to our new releases, a whole bunch of hangovers, there's like a hundred something things that you can listen to that don't exist for the regular listening public. Also, check us out at 100proof history on all the social medias where we post memes and things related to the story and you know just random shit that comes to us that people find entertaining and uh you will too well for myself hambone who once again was just silent because he was off in the distance doing whatever hambone does wolf dick who did a fantastic job of producing this episode and damn the intro man who said three things and then left for the day. I say thank you guys for listening. And we also all collectively ask main host, best host, Gregory. What else? You will not put me on the spot. I'm completely <laughs> ill prepared for this. <laughs> I know that I'm asked to say something every week and I will not do it this week. It's such a surprise. Because, as always, I'm not prepared. <laughs> I bid you adieu. Oh, French. Nice. Goodbye. Adieu, sir. <laughs>
I thought you were interrupting with a joke again like you did before. Middle of sentence ain't time for joking. I'm just trying to pause. I'm sorry. It's okay. I appreciate it. But based on past history, that's why I responded the way I did. (laughs) You've done this before. That's why I hit you. Yeah. I didn't know this time was different. (laughs) Yeah. I, I... I just need to give. Les Mis is a fictional story. I need to give Les Mis a better shot. Like I, I checked out really early and I was yeah. drunk. You, I'm fucking offended and pissed off. No, I don't even want to. <laughs> okay, let's quit. <laughs> you like that long-winded animal husbandry joke? <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. The animal husbandry. It, it wasn't with the liquor. <laughs> like with the liquor. Like, that's like, good. Uh, <laughs> When you started with the shit, I was like, ooh, an animal shitting. Husbandry. Husbandry. I married a gorilla that can talk. I'm genius. (laughs) (laughs) Calculations flowing around me. Yeah. The meme of the fucking trigonometry. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, I love me.